I am not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of missed opportunities. Our speaker today is the director at Global Newborn Solutions, former CEO at EMET Nanotech LLC, and a mass challenge participant. She has paired her passion for sustainable answers with her background in healthcare and biotechnology at Global Newborn Solutions, where she continues to grow the reach of their healthcare technology, which improves infant mortality rates in Rwanda. She is simultaneously helping the organization evolve into a long-term education movement, empowering the communities they serve to develop a brighter and stronger future. We are honored to have Liana Silverberg as our speaker today. Thanks, Spencer. We're delighted to have each of you join us today. Liana is the former CEO at EMIT Nanotech LLC, a Mass Challenge participant and the current director at Global Newborn Solutions. As director, Liana is passionately working to grow the reach of their healthcare solution and implement infant care education to improve infant mortality rates in Rwanda. Liana is going to kick us off today with a presentation about her journey, and then we'll open it up for conversation, questions, and discussion. So if you do think of any questions while Liana is speaking, please feel free to type them in the questions and discussion channel, and we'll make sure that she has an opportunity to address them. So Liana, thank you so much for being with us, and the floor is yours. Great, thank you. If anybody has any questions, I know, Nancy, that you had some questions already set out, so I'm happy to kind of do a Q&A. But a little bit about me. I got a degree in biotechnology from Brandeis University, a master's degree. While I was getting my master's degree, I ended up starting a biotech company, and um, this biotech company was specifically to focus on a nano imaging platform uh, to speed up actually understanding and looking at drugs and the way that they interact with with diseases. That's kind of the uh, biotech company that I worked on and learned a lot about, and uh, really became an expert in the field. And then when COVID happened and COVID kind of just entered the world and just kind of created this whole new environment um, for entrepreneurs. Um, we ended up deciding to kind of put that to rest and a new opportunity came out where um, now I'm the director of a nonprofit called Global Newborn Solutions. And um, this organization is focusing right now on newborn health um, in low resource settings. And specifically, uh, we've start, we've decided to focus on hypothermia. And for us, hypothermia is not a big deal. You know, it's, you get too cold and then, you know, you find a way to, to combat that. However, in low resource settings, um, especially with newborn babies um, and premature babies, if they have an infection or they're premature, they can't regulate their own body heat. So even if it's 80 degrees outside, that's too cold for survival. And unfortunately, and tragically, over 1 million babies die every year, something as simple as hypothermia. And so it's almost like the silent killer. And um, it's affecting so many, so many lives. And so we've decided that we want to combat hypothermia. Um, and so we've developed a an infant warmer that's like a little little um, little mattress, and um, all you need is boiled water. So we wanted to create a solution that literally anybody in the world can use. And any civilization right now has the ability to boil water, even if it's with sticks and stones. And so you pretty much get an entire kit um, with a thermos and a backpack and a mattress and insulating sleeve. And all you need to do is pour boiled water inside of the thermos with the mattress, and then you have the ability to save your baby's life. And so we've given almost this whole new aspect and control and mentality to, to mothers and to nurses and um, all around the world 
um, to actually feel that they can create um, and sustain this baby's life. So, so we right now we're still in kind of this um, manufacturing stage, but we recently finished a clinical trial uh, in Rwanda and it spanned over 10 hospitals and we got phenomenal, phenomenal results showcasing how important the dream, it's called the dream warmer, the dream warmer is uh, to these to these babies and to the mothers and the nurses in these hospitals. And we specifically created the dream warmer so that it's it does more than just, you know, keep the baby warm, but it also allows the mother to have kind of this, this kangaroo mother care. So if like a mother wants to put the baby on um, their skin, which is extremely important, and the WHO actually recommends that, we wanted to create a solution that complements that. So if let's just say you can't, as a mother, cannot provide enough heat to your baby, we created this mattress that goes around you and the baby so that you can add additional heat to this uh, skin to skin, which we think is extremely important because we don't want to create a solution that just kind of negates the fact that this is such an important way of, of, of bringing heat to a baby. Um, however, if a mother or a nurse is busy and there are other things that this baby, this uh, the mother or nurse needs to do, you can just have it on its own as well, and you can put the baby on top with a little blanket and keep that baby warm up to six hours. So it's really kind of this this um, combination of if you want to have the skin to skin, or if you want it on a bed, or even if for transport, a lot of babies, especially during COVID, are not even um, being born in hospitals. So let's just say you need to transport that baby to a hospital, or you need to lay that baby um, on something after the delivery. This is a huge solution for transport and also situations where you might not have an incubator. And a lot of places um, where you don't have consistent electricity or any electricity, um, incubators are not the right solution. And so we've tried to really create a solution. Um, and I know we've learned this at the boot camp too, where it's it's specifically focused towards the users and the customers. And throughout the time we've done clinical trials and we've we've really, really done our, our best to get that customer feedback and integrate that back into our solution and constantly, constantly do that. So we make a technology and a solution that's so geared towards the users themselves. So we, you know, it's a continuous process to do that and continuously innovating. But that's kind of what we've been doing at Global Newborn Solutions. It started when uh, the CEO of the of the organization, she's the medical director of the of Boston Children's Hospital's NICU, um, neonatal intensive care unit, and she, around 10 years ago, worked with the Rwanda Ministry of Health to incorporate newborn health into a specific protocol for Rwanda, really preparing for not just a solution, but also just an entire healthcare process around newborn health. So that's just a little synopsis of what we've been working on. And Nancy, you're welcome to kind of ask some of the questions that you had to um, but I thought I would just give a little bit of a background. Yeah, thank you so much. That that was great. Um, I, I really appreciate the way that you explain things and, and the passion with which you explain things. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get us started with, with a question, but um, others can definitely feel free to jump in and use the questions and discussion channel. Um, I... I understand, you know, from your and my conversation that Global Newborn Solutions became a nonprofit about a year ago. I was wondering if you could talk about that choice um, and kind of the pros and cons you foresaw, you know, had it stayed a for-profit business and why you decided to do that. Around a year ago, it was really just kind of this idea that needed to get out into the world. But before that happens, we're dealing with newborns. Because of that, it was really 
about safety and efficacy. So that's where the clinical trials came in and also just a pilot study. So even before it became an organization, pilot studies were done to make sure that this is actually a a substantial uh, technology that can really, really help newborn health in low resource settings. But then the real kind of force to create a nonprofit um, instead of a for-profit is because we want to make sure that our full-on goal is impact, not financial. And um, we've seen it in the past and with some of our competitors as well, that sometimes financial gains um, and return on investment uh, can sometimes get in the way of the impact. And so we wanted to create a real focus on this is going to be impacting people and newborns and mothers and nurses in low resource settings. And um, and in order to do that in a way that we thought that we could get out the fastest and on top of that, really focus on technology that worked um, and was also reusable. So, you know, we want this to last, this technology to last as long as possible. And so our goal is not to have that turnover. Our goal is to make a, a technology that will work um, the longest so that, you know, they're not throwing out, um, you know, old technologies and buying new ones because that's an expense and that's also creating more waste. And so we wanted to create something that could last as long as possible and that they could save a lot of money because they are in locations that they don't have a lot of money to begin with. That is really the the real focus of why we wanted to create a nonprofit versus a for-profit structure. Thank you so much for taking us through all of that. Now, obviously, the warming blanket is an incredible solution to the problem of infant mortality hypothermia. But can you talk more about the long-term vision of global newborn solutions? Yeah, definitely. So we've we've been focusing right right now in Rwanda, but our goal is to you know expand to all of the settings that we can really impact. That's kind of our next step after we get into Rwanda and we focus on more locations in Rwanda. We want to expand to all of the different settings that really, really need the dream warmer. But on top of that, our, you know, we're called Global Newborn Solutions. And we want to really focus on newborn health and survival as a whole. And so, yes, the dream warmer is one aspect of that, but it also really revolves around education and educating people on how to take care of newborns and create a healthy lifestyle around that. And so we've been we've been really working on the education component and creating actually a whole platform on just educating nurses and physicians. Specifically right now in Rwanda, we've been working on the Rwanda protocol, but the goal is to just have like a, a platform to educate anyone who wants to learn about newborn health in resource limited settings that they can you know have free access and learn about this this these um these issues and just to create a real community around newborn health so this combination of having solutions having the education and having a community and we want to combine all three of those. And that would that's our big vision, to have a combination where you are educated in, in the field, you have a community and a support system, and you have the solutions to act. And so that is kind of our overall vision. Yeah, thanks so much. And, and clearly, I mean, how, can I ask how long you've been the director? I don't know if I asked you that before, and I apologize if I did. Oh, no, it's all good. So, um, so I've been the director for around six months now. So I've kind of dived headfirst into the role. And it's really been um, an honor to be working on, on such an amazing, um, and in such an amazing organization and on such an amazing cause. So, so I've been really kind of embracing the role and you know, we're trying to move as, as quick as possible because the faster that we can move, the faster uh, newborns can get the, the care that they need. Yeah, no, you really have. I, I knew it hadn't been that long. And I think it's quite impressive that you really have. Like, you sound like you've, you know, been doing this for years, you know, and, and I think part of that is who you are and your passion. 
Um, so having directed a nonprofit for a few years myself, I know that keeping you know your unpaid workforce motivated is really key in maintaining momentum and achieving the you know the goals and the growth strategy. Um, can you talk a bit how you keep everybody motivated and how you go about finding the volunteers that you need? Absolutely. Um, so about the volunteers, we've actually been really lucky um, so far that the the uh, volunteers that we've had have kind of come to us. Um, and so it was kind of like, okay, people want to get involved. So you know, let's let's do this and let's kind of create an environment that people want to continuously want to get involved. Um, and I think it it comes from just, you know, really focusing on the overall mission. And, you know, if everybody has that mentality of like, this is the mission and the, the vision and everybody's kind of on the same page just from the get go of that, I think it really sets a precedent for moving forward and getting things done. Um, but then on top of that, I think it's just having an environment where, you know, I think us as a team in general, we've just been really open with each other, what's working, what's not, and you know just moving forward with that because you know it's it's uh, eventually it's just about you know getting getting this technology out um as quick as possible and so just kind of having the same vision and mentality about that and just kind of being totally transparent with the team about all of the different aspects of where we are what we're doing what are our challenges like you know even with the 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 volunteers or the interns or whatever it is showcasing you know these are the issues that we're having um and how can we work together you know we want everybody's input everybody has a different perspective and has come from a different background and has different expertise so how can we take that and work together to create you know the best solution or the best um you know path or whatever it is to move forward but i think when it comes to volunteers and bringing people together that we're all working towards the same path and goal and journey and we're on it together instead of like you're doing this i'm doing this you, you know and kind of having this more separate departmentalized way of looking at things so it's really kind of bringing everybody together yes you might be more focused on this or whatever but at the end of the day we're all kind of bringing in our our expertise and our passions together so i think that's been been a huge aspect of things and it's been really exciting to see how passionate uh, people have been on the in the project and in the organization. So if anybody here also wants to get involved in some way, we will make it happen because I think it's really about community and and especially when we're dealing with with uh, with newborns and infants, you know, where we're all affected by the next generation of of people, and so it's so important that we find a solution and um, to create an environment. So I think that's what's been helping bring in more and more people. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I think, well, I mean, it's, it's obvious what you're saying is correct, that they are the future about, well, for the species and for the world. Um, and so it's important that people have that understanding and that community to focus on the development and protection of newborns. Uh, now, one thing I did want to ask you about is, can you tell us a bit about your startup experience and a bit about your work in the corporate side of biotechnology? Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, a very, very different um, aspect of things. But I really loved kind of bringing my corporate background into the nonprofit side of things, too. So a little bit about that. Um, so when I was a, um, a master's student, I worked on this project and then we actually applied for a grant from the National Science Foundation. And this grant um, was specifically to kind of take a science technology and see if, if it was commercially viable. And this was a seven week program and they gave us kind of an award for it. And we had to do over a hundred interviews. So it was actually kind of similar, but like 
the boot camp on steroids a little bit, uh, which is hard to imagine. But um, but pretty much it was a, like a seven week program, and what we came out of it was that this technology is needed now, um, and and um, and people were willing to spend a lot of money on it on this on a solution. And so having something that we've noticed that people need it now, and then on top of that, where people wanted to put money into the solution, we were like, wow, we are we need to do something now. So I brought kind of the team together, and we brought some you know people from the outside and also um, from universities. And we sat everybody down and said, okay, let's go for it. And it took some convincing, uh, but we ended up doing it. And we ended up um, getting into an accelerator called Mass Challenge, which is um, the largest um, nonprofit accelerator out there. And so that was really exciting. And we were able to use the resources there. And then it was kind of like, okay, you're in it run with it. And so that was kind of where it was just, just you know, full on uh, trying to, you know, sustain a not a, a, um, a startup. Um, and so it was a lot of, you know, a lot of meetings and, and um, really, uh, you know, I'd be, I, I had to become kind of an expert in all aspects of, you know, both the science side of things, but also um, you know, the legal side of things, I was reading all of the legal papers and everything. Obviously, we had lawyers and everything for that, but also the business side and strategizing. And so, especially, I think entrepreneurs realize and understand that you kind of have to know a lot about a lot of different things. And so that's kind of what I really, really loved um, about kind of just being sucked into this um corporate world where, especially before the pandemic, you know, you're meeting so many different people. And I feel like because I was a young, or I am a young entrepreneur, I kind of just tried to almost just inhale all of the advice and the information that I was getting. I mean, there was, I pitched so many times and there was one time where I pitched to an audience of over two or 300 people. And one guy came up to me afterwards and was like, your pitch was terrible. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I could have just been like, okay, that's terrible. And like, just kind of went into the self deprecation mentality. But instead, I was like, okay, that's great. That's fine. Tell me how to fix it. What would you have done better? Or what would you have changed? And it totally kind of, you know, shifted my mentality of how can I continuously improve on what I was doing instead of constantly feel that I wasn't enough just being in in like a startup mentality there's always things that you could fix and change and and recreate and pivot and so I was just constantly in that mindset of how can I do that um and I think um that's what I really love about entrepreneurship in general and also being in the corporate world because there's um, there is something that you can learn from everybody also in the nonprofit world a hundred percent too but I think with the for-profit side, you do get a, a, an interesting perspective on, on corporate and how to integrate different things that are working in the corporate world into a nonprofit because eventually you, I mean, not in, into a startup because eventually you want that startup to become a large corporation. So constantly kind of picking and choosing what you want and, and almost form your vision around um, things that you've seen that have worked. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking us through that experience. It's hard for me to imagine just how intense that must have been, but, um, but I can also really appreciate that, you know, it's, it's made you um, even stronger than you were before. Um, I, I think being able to take that sort of criticism, no matter how it's given constructively is, is really, really powerful. Um, and it sounds like you're able to do that. So kudos to you on that. It's definitely something to learn. It's like a it's definitely a process. <laughs> well, I, I feel like it's something that like I can take a certain amount of and then I find it draining. Um, so if you can always be in that startup mentality, as you say, of like, well, there's always something I can improve. Um, I, I totally agree with you. That's that's the right mindset to have. 
Um, so Joel actually has a question for you about how global newborn makes money. Um, he was wondering if you're more reliant on grants or government support or in a parallel approach, if you have like a product in the market. Yeah, that's a really good question. So right now, um, you know, whether you're in the for-profit or non-profit side, um, you know, it's, it's hard at the beginning um, to be completely sustainable unless, you know, you're bootstrapping. Um, but for us, we are, for Global Newborn Solutions, we've really kind of been dependent on grants for now. Um, but our goal is to be at least partially sustainable um, by selling the dream warmer to, um, to the, like governments um, and ministries of health. So, and also international NGOs that, you know, might want to take a full on full solution um, to a specific country that they're focusing on or focusing in or a, a, a low resource setting, they can just, you know, have almost like a kit and the dream warmer is part of that. So, um, so the goal is definitely to be partially sustainable by selling the dream warmer, um, but we don't want to, that to hinder where we actually get um, the dream warmer too. So let's just say there's, you know, um, a, a location that can't spend, you know, a lot of money on the dream warmer. We still want to make sure that they can get the dream warmer. So that's also where the grants come in and the, the donations and philanthropists, um, because we don't want to hinder, um, the opportunities of just getting the dream warmer out. So it is definitely a combination. We are also looking at other routes of, you know, a, re a, a revenue source, whether it's, you know, partnering with other um, organizations that might want to get into different markets that we might already be in. Um, so we are looking at different routes, but right now we are mainly focused on, on kind of grants and uh, foundations and donors. A great question, Joe. It's really awesome to hear sort of about not just how your um, the the company's going, but also how you're planning it out in the longer term. And I think that's really exciting to hear. Um, now, could I just ask, just to take it a little bit, focus a little bit differently, uh, for those of us who are unfamiliar with the region, can you outline some of the pros and cons of working in Rwanda specifically? Yes, definitely. Rwanda is a really amazing location where uh, they've been really, really trying to focus on newborn health. And so they've already made a lot of efforts um, in the in just in Rwanda specifically um, to focus on newborn health. And so that's also where it's been a really great opportunity for us to be able to integrate our technology and our solution into both the clinical trials, but also overall, where people are really open to that. However, there are definitely challenges where, especially during the pandemic, we're based in Boston, so we're far away. We do have people in Rwanda that are working on, on the site. However, because we are so far away, that in itself is is a challenge, especially when we've already had an ex, you know an environmental challenge, which is COVID. Um, so you know we're trying to kind of figure out with the manufacturing of it, you know how we can go about that with shipping and everything like that um, to create a um, a way that we can almost kind of navigate some of the cons. That's specifically in Rwanda. They also in in the 90s they went through um, a genocide. So that's just kind of a little bit about the history. And so things have shifted from then, um, but now are kind of, there's been a real push for innovation and entrepreneurship and health in general. So it's, it's kind of just really shifted in the last 20, 30 years, which is pretty incredible. I have a question. Personally, I'm really interested in the product design aspect of things. Can you tell us a little bit about how you went about um, like the product design uh, side of things for this? Was this like outsourced to a product design firm or like anything you can say about manufacturing, that type of thing? Sure. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a good question. Oh, uh, it's downstairs. So um, the, the dream warmer, I could run and get it, uh, but I'll just explain a little bit. Um, where we've, uh, this has been kind of worked on really with the, um, the uh, 
Ber Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. And um, we've been working with with um, a an engineer at uh, at the lab there um, to really create a solution that kind of fits exactly what we what we want. Um, and it's gone through so many iterations. You know, we thought at, at the beginning, it was kind of like maybe solar panels would work or maybe this would work or maybe that would work. Um, and the what, what we've realized um, has worked the best um, is actually a phase change material. And so it goes from a liquid to a solid phase. And you can, um, when it goes to a solid uh, liquid phase, it, it's a pretty much goes to a, a liquid phase at 37 degrees Celsius, which is body temperature. And so we've created a, a way that's really, really easy to use, but it also kind of can maintain the heat um, and body temperature for up to six hours. Um, so it's kind of almost like if you're, if you're interested in actually the design and more about um, what, what the dream warmer looks like, you can always go on the website, uh, www um, globalnewborn.org and you can see all about uh, the design and what we've done there but uh, we're constantly creating or er, innovating and creating more and more durable technology and so for part of my job um, I've tried to really become as immersed as I can in just the real technical aspect of things so I'm you know be becoming as much of an expert as I can in different plastics and different face change materials and the real hardcore science of it. Um, because um, part of my job will be is to, um, you know, take that feedback that we've gotten from from the users and to create an even better product. So, um, so that's kind of on the manufacturing side. And it was originally, um, Kind of coming out of the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, and um, and the infant warmer um, actually received an award, an honorary mention from the U.S. Patent Office for the uh, global uh, humanitarian side of of U.S. patents. Um, so we're really excited about that. That we are, and we're honored that that we were receiving such an award from the U.S. Patent Office um, about our technology. So you can see the design. It's almost like it's very, very easy to roll um, and then like to actually expand. And then you there's a special insulating sleeve to keep in the heat where you put the uh, the mattress inside of the insulating sleeve and then you can put the baby on top of it um, and keep that baby warm. So so that's kind of the manufacturing side of things. But we're right now in that process right now um, of the manufacturing. And the goal is to you know, speed up that process as quick as possible so that we can launch the technology on a larger scale. Awesome, hi Liana, good to see you again. So I'm just reading, yeah, I'm just reading out my question. So aside from grants, what can an organization like yours to do something to make sure that your end users actually get your product? So I'm asking because for some really capital intensive solutions like solar panels in Africa, that has been a real challenge. So I've seen some people try to do it, you know, balancing grants and commercial debts. So that has seemed to be working better than just, you know, uh, partnering up with small organizations locally to help them pay the costs up front. But I wanted to hear that your insights on, you know, working with some regions that might not have a lot of organic purchasing power. And also sort of like a follow-up question, like how much is the dream warmer? <laughs> and even if you can sell it at the cost, you know, at cost, which your typical end users have the purchasing power to do so. So I want to see this is, you know, whether this is a question of this is something that they can actually somewhat afford or they always require outside aid. So I know it's like two questions. <laughs> Thank you. Those, those are really good points. So um, I'll kind of just explain that in general where and please like Redmond, if I if I didn't fully answer your question, just kind of ask a more direct question and I'll, I'll try and get to that too. Uh, but pretty much when it comes to the, the dream warmer, we, um, we don't want to sell it directly to the users. So the goal is not to sell it to the mothers and the nurses. Um, and there's, there's two reasons. One, the cost is high uh, where we're, we are aiming to sell it for around 50 to a hundred dollars. Um, but, the one, the cost, we, you know, we don't want that to be on the mothers and the nurses to be buying these things. Um, and two, 
we want the the actual dream warmer not to just be a solution for one mother, but we want it to be a solution for, you know, 15, 20, 30 mothers. So once they're done with it, um, you know, it'll go on to the next baby uh, who needs it. And so our real way of, of selling it is to focus on, you know, international NGOs, so large, large um, organizations that are already going in to these um, to these settings and, um, you know, bringing with them technology. So we want to be one of those, uh, those organizations where we're bringing that solution. Um, and that also helps with our distribution. Um, on top of that, um, we want to also work and partner with the actual ministries of health because then they know exactly how to kind of trickle that down into um, into all of the different hospitals and health centers that need it. And they're the ones that are paying for it. And the reasoning why that's also important for us is because we want um, also the the country um, themselves to really, you know, have a passion and, and a focus and effort on newborn health. And so that almost kind of brings it into the forefront um, that they are going to be really making that a priority. Um, and so those are those are the reasons. And then on top of that, um, the goal is once it's in like a hospital, let's just say, that dream warmer is not just for one baby. It's for, you know, a baby that might use it for a week. Some babies might use it for two months and then it goes on to the next baby. So it's kind of like whoever needs it. And we've also created a system so if a mother wants to bring it home with them, they can also bring the dream warmer home with them for a certain amount of time, however long they need it, so that they can, you know, have that skin to skin mother care. And then on top of it, if they're really busy, let's say they have twins, let's say they get ill, whatever it is, they need to work, whatever it is they have a solution at home. So, but it's kind of almost like it goes through the Ministry of Health and then it gets to the hospitals and then from there it can get to the mothers if they wanna bring it home. And an overall goal, which would be really exciting for us, um, is if we could somehow also empower the mothers uh, to, to almost have like a microloan system where they could be champions and help other mothers create a real environment and also just a community and education platform where mothers are teaching mothers about both the Dream Warmer and other solutions as well. So I think I answered your questions, but let me know if there's anything else that you want me to clarify. That was perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, just like a quick follow-up. So how long does uh, Dream Warmer last typically? Yeah, so, so the Dream Warmer lasts around six hours. But it really also depends on where you are. What about the actual the lifetime of the blanket? We're actually working on that right now um, to create it. The goal is um, two to three years, so so that um, you can use that for two to three years, and it can it can really um, impact and save the lives of so many babies. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's awesome. I actually personally really like that sort of approach. It seems very sustainable. Empowering the mothers as well is also something that I think is such a brilliant way to go about it. One thing I wanted to ask is about sort of your perspective on what what do you see as the next steps in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think for me, I I mean, right now I think the the next step is to really create this you know, GNS and Global New Birth Solutions as sustainable as possible. So get it to the point where, you know, we've we've gotten into so many of the countries and so many of the, the low resource settings that need it the most. So I think that's really a, a huge next step for, for not just me, but also the organization. And um, And I think that's so important because one, I think, for me, a, a purpose of mine um, and what has motivated me in my just entrepreneurial education and life has been really focusing on health. And I've like really embodied the fact that health is so, so important to your life, no matter, you know, your age, your race, your religion, your demographic, your sex, whatever it is. It, it, it's so, so, so important to your life. And so my goal has always been to uplift and, and create a system 
that um, really helps more and more people create a healthier lifestyle, especially when it comes to survival. And so this has been, you know, a real passion and and purpose of mine. So definitely focusing on getting a global newborn solutions to an, a place that is really sustainable in that aspect and, and has already achieved that mission and vision in some way. And then after after that, I, I'm not sure, maybe I'll stay at Global Newborn Solutions for a very, very long time. And maybe something else will come along that might be, you know, an, um, something that really, really needs help. Then Global Newborn Solutions is, is in a really, really great area and, and place. Um, but I think it's it's kind of, I really take it one step as a at a time. And I think it also depends on on things that just opportunities and situations, and there's a lot that goes into it. So that's where I see myself. But the overall purpose, I think, has stayed the same um, for me for a very long time. So as long as I have that in the forefront of my mindset, I think my decisions will be the right ones. I, I think it's great that you answered that question that way, because sometimes we actually ask people, you know, do you have sort of a driving vision or philosophy that, you know, has been present throughout everything you've done. And I think you really understand that for yourself. Um, and and so I'm I'm pretty confident in saying, even in barely knowing you that, you know, whatever projects you apply yourself to, like you understanding that, you're you're gonna do uh, great work. So I'm I'm excited about that for you. Um, so you know, kind of building off of that a little bit. Sometimes we ask this question at the beginning, but um, can you tell us just a little bit maybe about your experience growing up and who you feel um, maybe some of your mentors that influenced your personal and professional development or early life experiences that you feel really shaped you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so growing up, I never thought that I would go into science or medicine or anything like that. But my dad is a, a physician, and he's just kind of always brought this passion towards health and and um, and medicine and science to me. Uh, even at a young age, you know, if something went wrong, um, he would always prepare us for if somebody scrapes their knee or somebody's bleeding or whatever it is, you know, preparing ourselves for how to go about that. And actually, my mom had Lyme disease at, um, when I was around 12 years old, and to a point where she needed an intravenous um, uh, pick line. And so I was actually the one to to mix all of the different solutions and things like that um, because that that was kind of our our only our only option at the point. And so at, at a very young age, I was already kind of um, having somebody's life um, and health in my hands. Um, and so it really kind of shifted my perspective. And I, I, even at that age, I was like. I won't go into medicine or health or anything, but but it was a passion and something that I I really valued and was so important to me. And my dad would always, you know, throughout my life, we would always kind of talk about different things in in health and science, and you know, we would take a scenario and kind of almost like think through it as a so like how could we um, create a solution for this and even when I was like really young we would like take a specific type of cancer and be like okay let's just say x y and z and like go through it and like I just kind of like was like wow like we can we can do something let's let's start something or do something and it just kind of got my drive to focus on that and I still didn't think that I was going to go into science until um, my senior year of high school, where I just randomly decided that I was going to go into a, um, a biomedical engineering class. It was the first time they did it at our high school, and they were kind of just like, we'll see if this class works. Day one, uh, we had a, a quiz just to see how much we knew about just engineering and the field. And one of the questions, I, I like looked at the whole test, and I was like, I don't know anything here to a point where one of the questions was, what is ACDC uh, with electricity? And my answer was a band question mark, like had no idea <laughs> what I was doing. And so 
I like totally came from just not knowing anything to then just having this love and this passion for science and the the teacher that we had just really um, embodied research to a point where he would answer our questions with other questions. And we kind of, and I just loved the way that I was kind of going through this idea of constantly learning and researching and exploring um, and observing um, and experimenting. And I just love that combination of things. And then we ended up actually, me and uh, two other people in, or two other students in the class, um, we had a, a project and that project was create anything. That was, that was our, our teacher. That's what he wanted us to do, create anything. And so we ended up creating a charger based on your kinetic movement because I was so sick of my phone always dying. And so instead of waiting for an outlet or charging a portable charger, why don't you just harness your own body body energy and use that to charge your phone? And we did it, and it worked. And then, um, and then I actually, when I went to um, university, um, I took that with me, and I decided to apply for a grant. So I did the whole pitching thing and everything, um, and I got rejected. And I was so upset because I thought this was such a great technology, and I was so upset that we didn't that I didn't get the grant, and it was really upsetting. But then I kind of took a step back, and I was like, "Why didn't we get the grant?" Um, and it kind of changed my perspective because I realized that when I presented, I focused so much on the science of it, and I didn't focus on the business side and the execution side. And it kind of hit me really hard that you could have the best technology out there, but if you don't know how to take that technology and bring it to the users and get it to the user's hands, it's a totally worthless technology. And so that's where kind of I combined my love for science and biology with entrepreneurship um, and the value. And so throughout my entire um, educational career, I was always trying to do that um, with experience as well, whether it was a startup I was working on or the MIT boot camp or, um, you know, or working at the Brandeis Innovation Center or working on something else, whatever it is I needed to, or working at a pharmaceutical company. So I had to apply what I was learning to have that experience and understand more of the execution side of things. So that's kind of um, my journey uh, when I was younger to kind of how I started to really embody my love for science and entrepreneurship and actually create a career out of it. That's exceptional. And I love hearing about a teacher figure in your life that had an impact like that. I've certainly had in my life two teachers that had an amazing impact on me personally. And I think people in that position can have such a great positive influence in our lives. We do have one question that we like to sort of wrap things up with. What do you think has been the best lesson or takeaway from your journey so far? Words of wisdom sort of thing. It's very much open to you. What lesson you want to share with us? Yeah, definitely. I, I'll kind of end it with a little bit of a story that ends in a lesson, which I've learned from this story. And that was when I was applying for an internship. This was a few, a bunch of years ago, but I was applying for an internship and this was an internship that I was so excited for. I was like, I will do anything in my power to get this internship. And I was about to submit my application when my screen turned to like a white page with a few letters that said, this internship has already been filled. And I was so upset. I was so upset. And I remember my mom being like, well, wouldn't it be better if, or isn't it better that, you know, now you know, instead of getting rejected later, later on in the process. And I just passionately just screamed out, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of missed opportunities. And like, that's what I kind of realized is something that I totally embody is that it's not about failure because failure just kind of shows you that you've kind of reached a point that you can even improve even more. And so it was kind of this real moment of, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of missed opportunities. And so it kind of brought me to a point where trying to, you know, disregard this, this idea that I might not get something and instead kind of inject that with 
how can I kind of focus on the things that are so important and then also are integrated into my purpose of, of health. Um, and, and so that is something that I would, I say would, would be kind of advice for people to focus on is, you know, find those, those opportunities that are super meaningful to you. And, um, and instead of looking at it as kind of, I could fail, it's kind of, how can I push even further? Because if you fail, that just means that you've kind of gotten to a point, which is really exciting. And then you just have to kind of find a way to to navigate to move forward, um, which just introduces more exciting and um, new adventures. So that was kind of something that I um, really try to embody um, myself to this day and incorporating that with when there is failure and that does happen because it will happen to really evaluate your weaknesses and strengths. And this is something that I constantly try and do. It's hard sometimes to focus on your weaknesses, but to really embrace your weaknesses and be okay and comfortable with them so that you can, you know, either find something that can, that can um, complement them um, or you can focus more on your strengths um, and your passions. So I guess that's where I would end it um, in some of the advice that I've learned along the way. <laughs> and I'm sure hopefully in the future, I will have more to give uh, as I have more and more experiences. So thank you all so much for coming and for listening. Thank you so much for being such an um, insightful and, and thoughtful guest. I love that verbalization, you know, that you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of missed opportunities. And I think um, all of us struggle at some point to, you know, be, be comfortable with our weaknesses. So I, I think you explained that so beautifully. Thank you. It, it's amazing to me. Like I, I am actually quite a bit older than you, but you have done so much. I am so inspired by, by your passion. And I, I really appreciate you letting us learn from you and from your experiences. Thank you so much and, and have a great rest of your day, Liana. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me for this. This has been wonderful. And it's great to hear all of your questions. Thanks everyone. Take care. This has been Nancy and Spencer on Founders Voyage weekly podcast. Our speaker each week can be reached through our Discord server. Our intro and outro music is from the song Something for Nothing by Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Until then, have a great day and continue your voyage.